0: practice on our Bible study Sunday night, and uh, they said I need to maybe give a little review, and I was thinking, okay, what am I going to do for the review, and it walked in tonight. Remember last week when I was talking about the authority being given from God to man, and I used our farm as an example of the authority that I had being given to my son, Ben, well, Ben was able to make it tonight. Thank yeah. you, Ben. So, if you've got questions on the farm, you can ask Ben. <laughs> Amen. Tonight we'll be looking at uh, the giving part. There's four types of giving. Have to, we have to do it God's way. The first three are towards God. The fourth one is toward man. You have to have a purpose when giving. It's not a bill to be paid. The information I'm getting some of it from is from Gary Kasey, and at one point he'd gotten kind of, I don't know what you'd say, but he didn't have his heart into it. He was doing the sewing like he was paying the bills. And the Lord jerked his chain and said, you can't do it that way. It's not a bill that you're paying. The word tells us that we're supposed to be joyful givers. Second Corinthians 9.7 says, God loves a cheerful giver. If we are to excel in life, we need to do it God's way, living and giving. Galatians 6.7, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Remember, God is never thinking of himself when he asks us to do something. He has everything he needs. Ultimately, he is thinking about us. Nothing in God's kingdom works without faith. God's word works, but he is under no obligation to do something he never said he'd do. That's right. Amen. Poverty doesn't make the best thing I can do for a perp <clears throat> excuse me, the best thing I can do for a poor person is not be poor. The more I reap, the more I give to the poor. One definition of prosperity, the ability to meet <coughs> the needs of other people. Mark four, three through nine. I'm not going to take time to read it tonight. But this is the parable of the sower. And the sower goes out and he sows the word, he sows the seed. And some of it, you know, lands on the path and it's, the word tells us that Satan comes and grabs it quickly, the birds come. Some of it uh, is on the stony ground where it has shallow root, comes up quickly because of the heat, but it doesn't last. Another one is uh, where the cares of the world, it's going, and the deceitfulness and the lust of the world takes it. But then he explains that some yields 30, 60, and 100-fold. And I'm going to take a few minutes here to explain what 30, 60, and 100-fold is. Uh, one of the interesting things is that is found in three of the gospels <clears throat> so when i talk about tenfold we can kind of get that in our head if i take this paper and i have it and i fold it once that gives me two if i go fold it again that gives me two more so you start adding it up it goes 1 plus 1 is 2 2 plus 2 is 4 4 plus 4 is 8. 8 plus 8 is 16. 16 plus 16 is 32. And then 32, 64, 128, 250, 6, 5, 12, and 24 So 10-fold is equal to 24 So, thank goodness I have Roxanne Rudd in the Bible study, an engineer. This is the email she sent back Monday to my wife. I spent some time Monday night looking at this on my calculator. It is not actually an easy thing to perform a multiplication operation 100 times in a row to determine what 100-fold turns out to be. Very easy to mess up counting or hitting the wrong button. The number is astronomical beyond anything we can hope or imagine. Very much a God thing. When I see the numbers, I think of Pastor Seeley of what he has for the numbers for angels in heaven. The numbers that God works with are just unbelievable. Right. We just cannot comprehend how big they are. Uh, this is what I arrived at and thought Mark would like to see it. So here's your Ten. But what do you think 30 is, and then 60, and then 100? First of all, I can tell you right now, I'm not going to try to pronounce when we get to 60 in there. 30 is equal to 1,073,741,824, and I said it wrong. It's a billion, billion, not a million. Sixty fold is one point one with six commas. One, two, three, four, five, six. Huge. What do you think a hundred fold is? It's one point two with ten commas. Unbelievable. Huge, isn't it? Kenneth Copeland would say, it meets all of our needs. (laughs) (laughs) More than enough. That's right, Sharon. Amen. More than enough. The interesting thing is, about Mark 4, 3 through 9, is that just below it in Mark 4, verse 13, Jesus said, And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? How then will you know all the other parables? So he expects us to understand what that parable means. If you don't understand this one, you won't understand any of the rest. That's the first clue that sowing and reaping is relative to everything in life. The word is being sown. What do you believe? about Jesus and the Bible. Do you believe the whole thing, or do you only believe part of it? You pick and choose. Galatians 6, 7 through 8 tells us, Be not deceived, God is not mocked, for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. I like that verse, as you can tell. (laughs) Okay, so now, let's look at um, the four types of giving. The first... The first one is the tithe, and you've all heard that. Anytime I take the offering, half the time I speak about Malachi 3, Malachi chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, the tithe. It's 10%. The point about the tithe is it tells us about our obedience. Are we willing to do it, or aren't we going to do It It connects us to the blessing. Rebukes the tithe when we do it. Rebukes the devourer, and it opens the windows of heaven. I would personally rather have 90% blessed than 100% cursed. The second type of giving are first fruits. It's mentioned 31 times in the Bible, Proverbs chapter 3, verses 9 through 10. It's an expression of our generosity. It's showing that we're not in love with money. If we receive an extra blessing, we're willing to give some of it back to God. In the Jewish culture, it most likely was the very first harvest, part of the harvest that they took in, the first bushel or the first heave, or whatever. But for us, it could be the pay increase. Are you willing to give that first pay increase to the Lord? It could be a bonus. Are you willing to give part of that to the Lord? And for us, it could be an extra yield in the crops and yields or price. The blessing from the first fruits is, the word says, our barns will be filled and our presses running over. There's no lack. The third one is alms. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. And it deals with our compassion. Do we have compassion to help the needy? It's given to the poor and those in desperate need. The word tells us that the Lord takes that as that we are, it's a loan that we're giving to the Lord and that he repays it, one for one. So if we give $10, the Lord promises to return the $10. It's one for one. It's so, it's, uh, we're lending unto the Lord. supposed to be done in secret, protects people's dignity. So now we come to the sowing of the seed, the fourth type of giving. Mark chapter 4, verses 3 through 9. Again, we've mentioned that. The motivation is faith and reward. It is the only way that the 30, 60, and 100 fold harvest can be received. Seed sowing begins at 11%, it's after the 10. The good thing about this is. You pick the denomination, and God picks the multiplication. Next. Amen?
1: Next.
0: Amen. We get to pick the denomination, and God picks the multiplication. Uh, later on, I will say that when you're listening to the Holy Spirit, and he tells you a certain amount to give, make sure you give that exact amount. The other thing, I'll get to that, I believe, later (laughs) here. That's okay. Glad you mentioned it. Uh, We need to sow into good ground, fertile ground. The example here is that we farm a number of different pieces of ground. And sometimes a lot of them look the same. But in reality, there's a difference. And the story here is that We had just finished up Friday night. Ben had come home from college. We were finishing up on Joe Van Sickles, if any of you remember Joe. And the corn was going roughly 175 to 185. And we we finished Joe's, and then we were moving to the next farm, but we don't like moving on Friday night. So we went home and got up early, Ben and I did, to go down and get the two combines and move them. And we came into this other farm. Driving down the road, you wouldn't notice any difference with the farm. Looks similar to the rest of them next to it, and we started to cross the field, and I was ahead of Ben, and combine just didn't seem right. I mean, it just didn't have the power that it had 12 hours ago, and I'm going, "What's going on?" And I'm on the CB to Ben. I go, "Something's wrong. This just isn't working." And I happened as I'm talking to him. I turned around and looked in the bin, and go figured it out, Ben. This is yielding a whole lot more. Oh. Went over. Ben can probably tell you, but it went over 200 bushel that year. So. so the point is this: when you're sowing the seed, listen to what the Holy Spirit is telling you. How much? But the key is where. Are you going to sow the seed? Sharon talked about it. It's been neat being here. Jeff, in praying, mentions part of the things I'm talking about. Sharon gets up here and mentions things I'm talking about. That's the Holy Ghost. Amen. That's the Holy Ghost. You need to sow that into ministries doing the work of God. You, You need to put it into ministries that believe what you believe. If they don't believe in seed time and harvest, I'm sorry, that seed is D-O-A on arrival. (laughs) Got it? Good. So it's very, very important. And the reason why is when you sow that seed, you're becoming a partner. Talk about that in a minute more. And you're forming a covenant with that other ministry. The two-way street. And you need to sow that seed with a purpose. If you don't know where you're going, you're not going to know when you get there. Remember about the goals last week? That's why goals are important. If you don't know how you're giving, you're not going to know what you're going. You don't know when you receive it. If you don't know what you're giving and what you want, you're not going to know when you receive it. In this, if we sow for a car, say, we've heard seed time and harvest. The seed, when Ben and I plant seeds, if we plant corn, it's going to yield corn. If we plant soybeans, it's going to yield soybeans. If I'm believing for a new car, it works real good if I sow a car. But money is an exchange. You use money every single day of your life. That's what you go to the grocery store with and buy food, clothing, car, house, etc. So money is an exchange that can be used to believe. You can sow a seed of money to believe for something other than money. Next thing is you call it in. What is your daily confession? After Ben and I go out and we plant corn and soybeans, sugar beets, I don't get up in the morning and go, oh my gosh, it rained too much last night. It's too hot. It's too cold. I speak life over those crops. I'm thankful for the rain. I'm thankful for the wind. If you don't have some wind, some crops do not pollinate. You need that wind. But again, it's back to your confession. And as Sharon said... You wait; it takes time. Man, wouldn't that be neat if you planted it one day and you went out and harvested the next? That's coming. Amen. Yeah. Amen. God works in mysterious ways, but He always works. Start thinking kingdom thoughts. All things are possible. All things are possible. Sow what the Holy Spirit tells you to sow not more or less, but what he tells you to do. So now we go to some examples. Two examples in the Old Testament. First Kings chapter 17, 10 through 16. This is Elijah dealing with a widow and a son. Elijah has been told to go to Zarephath and he will meet A widow that will take care of him until the drought is over. If you remember, he had gone to a brook, and the ravens had been bringing him food, and the brook, the brook dried up. So then the Lord tells him to go to Zarephath. So he gets there, and the widow was out collecting sticks to have her last meal, and then for her and her son to die. Elijah says, "What do you have?" All I have is a handful of meal and a little purse of oil. And Elijah says, go and prepare <coughs> it and give it to me. In essence, is what he's saying. And the widow woman, I'm sure, is saying, Hilt, what about me? What about my son? I look at it on the other way. If she ate the meal, how many more days would she live anyway? Not yeah. many. When you're down the bottom of the barrel, what's ever left in it, throw it to God. Because then he can do it. So, he gives it to Elijah. And the, the point is this. When it's taken from this world and put into God's kingdom, then God can use it and God can multiply it. The Bible tells us that the meal failed not, for a number of days. Or until the drought had ended. But we don't know exactly how long. That was Elijah. Then we go to 2 Kings 4. 1 through 7. This is Elisha. This is a widow. That her husband. Was of the company of the prophets. The sad thing about this is. He left her in debt. When he passed away. And now the creditors. The creditor is coming to take her two sons to be bond servants. He knows. She most likely knew Elijah because of her husband being of the company of the prophets. So she cries out to Elijah, the creditor is coming. Help me. His reply is, what do you have? Hey. He says, all I have is just a little bit of oil. I was going to grab the little oil this morning, this evening. All I got is a little bit of oil. He says, okay, go have you and yourself and your sons go and gather all the pots that you can bring into the house and then close the door and start pouring. He pours and pours. Pours and pours. So finally she turns to the one son and says, bring me another one. And the son says, there are no more. They're all full, Mom. Okay. He goes back to Elijah and he says, what did he ask him, what should I do? He says, go ahead and sell what you need to to pay the creditor and then you can live on the rest. The point again is this. Very little in the natural was put over into the kingdom of God, where then God multiply that. So well, let's go to the New Testament, Mark six, verses thirty-four through forty-four. The neat thing about this is this is where Jesus feeds five thousand. It's in all four Gospels, told a little different, but it's in all four of them. I uh, was told it was at Beseda and it was kind of like what we would refer to as a park, uh, the green grass, Charlie. And you've been there. That's why I'm looking at you just like that. Um, but there were so many that he had to get out of Beseda He had to get out of the village out to where there could be more because if you have 5,000 men, you're probably looking at close to 20,000 people. Right. It sounds like Jesus taught... Most of the day, and it's getting late. And the disciples come to him and say, You've got to dismiss this and send the people home. Everybody's hungry. Think that bothered Jesus? Uh, not at all. He had a plan. He turns to the disciples and says, You feed them. Oh, boy. What's the, re- what's the reply of the disciples? It would take... 200 pennies worth of bread to feed this group of people. And again, we don't know the exchange and all of that. But the point is this. They came back into the natural of what I talked about last week of the sweat and the toil of the earth cursed system of how much it's going to take. He says, what do you have? Well, they came up with a the one, uh, John talks about a lad having the five barley loaves and two fish. Jesus takes it from the natural. He breaks it and blesses it, puts it into the kingdom of God, and gives it to the disciples, and they feed 20,000 people. Another good point is Jesus makes sure they pick the fragments up. Twelve basketfuls. So when you are being blessed, make sure you don't leave the fragments. Pick them up; they're very important. The next one, Luke, chapter five, one through eleven. The word tells us that this is when uh, Jesus is in. I don't know whether it's was Bethsaida or Capernaum, one of the towns, by the seashore, and the people are thronging him. Uh, let me go back. Story I was telling you before. Uh, the gospel tells us that after that happened, the people came to make Jesus king. And then he went up farther into the mountain. Nobody would ever seen it. And it, it affected them that much that they wanted to literally grab him and take him and make him king when they saw that miracle take place. Sorry. <clears throat> we go back to where Jesus is along the lake shore and again, there's so many people that he asked Peter if he can use his boat. Now, Peter and Andrew are brothers, and they have partners, James and John. They have, the, the word tells us that, that they have fished all night long, they park parked their boats on the side, and they are washing their nets, maybe mending them, getting ready to take care of stuff. But Jesus asks Peter to use his boat. And Peter pushes him out so that Jesus could teach the people again. When Jesus is done teaching the people, he turns to Peter, and he says, Go out into the deep. And let down the nets. You probably have heard messages preached on. Peter turns to the master and he says, But Master, we have toiled all night and we have caught nothing. And in his mind he is saying, I'm a professional fisherman. I know what I'm doing. It's daylight. You don't catch fish during the day in this lake. You do it at night. Right. But at your word, right. I will let down one net. Isn't that like us? At that point, the net is so full that it's starting to break, the boat's starting to sink, and Peter calls for his partners. Remember what I said? I'm going to bring that up. Partners. They come out, James and John. It fills their boat to where they're almost sinking. The Word tells us that they get the boats to shore And again, the miracle is so great that they just say, Zebedee, who is the dad, take care of it, (coughs) and they start to follow Jesus. And as you know, Jesus tells Peter, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Uh, so let's bring it down to today. I guess... To summarize a little bit, you need to take something that's in the natural, sow it, give it to God, so that it goes over into God's kingdom, to where then he can multiply it back to you. And I've given you four examples. There are many more. But now I want to try to bring it down to us today. The one that probably sticks out to me the most is Elvin Glover. Most of you maybe don't know Elvin, but he was one of the originals in the Bible study that founded Amazing Grace Church. Elvin and Dorothy had a farm. They still Dorothy, Elvin has passed away. He's he's with the Lord. Dorothy lives in St. Louis, but the farm is out by Rathbone. And it was getting to the point where the mortgage payment every year was getting to Elvin. You know, he farmed Two farms, but then he also worked doing the drywall in order to make enough money. Dorothy worked at the courthouse for the county. And one day Elvin cried out to the Lord and said, Lord, in essence, I think he said, Lord, I I can't take this anymore. you got to help me pay this farm. That year, if I remember right, It was our first year for Jeannie and me at Michigan State. It was a wet fall, if I remember right, walking around campus with it raining. So it would have been a difficult year to get the edible beans in. They went to $50 a hundred, and when Elvin sold them, he was able to pay his farm. Amen? Uh, The dorm I lived in down the hall, there were two fellows from Maryland. The reason why I can remember the $50 is they came home, I'm assuming at Thanksgiving, and one of them said, hey, Dad, I need some spending money. The dad said, "We'll go out and get some bags of beans and take to the elevator. <laughs> <laughs> the boys came back with pretty good money. <laughs> Another one that just happened recently was with Morgan Seeley. She gave her testimony probably a month ago. And again, she was throwing into the kingdom. He was a, a fifth-year student at SUSV. Say that, And uh, when you become a fifth-year student, pretty much all the grants, all the loans, everything's done. And it was like, what am I going to do? Well, Morgan's a giver. He's a tither. And even on some of the money that came in, he continued to tithe. And as of this year, she's $300 ahead. yeah, of wow. having everything paid for for her. Another one dealing with a farm is, some of you have seen the land auctions and like this, and it can get pretty competitive when you go to buy a farm. This was a little bit before that time, but still it was being auctioned off at the lawyer's office in Ithaca, and when you're the only one that shows up, you have a big advantage. Amen? I'll give you another story with that farm. Uh, Michigan State has asked me a number of times to come and work for them, being an ag agent or whatever, and the one time I remember they came out and we were harvesting edible beans in that field. I don't remember what type, but With what they offered me, I made that much off that farm that year. And I thought, I don't think I'm going to go work for Michigan State. (laughs) Amen. Another one would be uh, Mona, part of Saginaw. And this isn't so much the deal with the money, but the Lord told Mona that if she would take care of the children in Saginaw, He would take care of her children, and that's worth more than any dollar amount that you could ever have. So Kenneth Hagin tells the story of where he was in the service, and he'd made the pledge of $50. That was his whole week's worth of income, and he went home, and his wife was not real happy. He said it was really cold that winter night, but it was real cold that (laughs) night. About three or four in the morning, there's someone knocking on the door. Hard enough to wake him up that he comes to the door. It was a member of his congregation, one of the wealthiest farmers in the county. And the farmer tells him that, hands him $500. He said, This is my seed because I'm losing my farm because I was in the stock market when the crash took place. They're into the, de- the depression now. And he says, this is a seed that I'm sowing. From that point on, Kenneth Hagin started to teach the seed time harvest from that. Being a farmer, when Ben and I go to the field and we plant, I expect a return. I expect a harvest. Yes. And you should do the same thing when you sow. Yes. You should expect a harvest and you should... Expect to return. Another story, uh, and that comes out of uh, Gary Cassie's book. It was a, uh, I don't know if it's in the book or in one of the CDs. They'd been, it's a young couple. Uh, the second baby was on the way, the baby had come, and they were stopping on the way to church, like at a Dunkin' Donuts or whatever, and they just barely could scrape enough money to have a cup of coffee and a donut for the kid. And the husband finally says, this is not work. I've had it. And so he went home. And the wife continued to come. But the, the husband got a hold of the seed time and the harvest. And they got the CDs. They had to save to get the CDs. And they listened to him for six months. Finally, they had their faith up enough And the husband was helping clean the house with his shop vac, is how he had to vacuum the house. So they sowed a seed of $5 and believed for a vacuum. (coughs) Before the $5 had reached the ministry, the mother-in-law calls and says, I'm going to have my house professionally cleaned or apartment. Would you be interested in a vacuum? Uh, Yeah. (laughs) At that, it got their attention. The husband had a business to where they they needed customers. So they said, we're going to sell $50 and believe for five customers. They sold the $50. Within a week, they had the five customers. He said, wow, we're going to sell $100 for 10 customers. Right. Within a couple of weeks, they had 10 customers. Yeah. The wife was an independent bookkeeper. Had her education, but was just... Uh, Not working for a firm, but doing it for small businesses and like that. And she started to look online of what she should be charging. And with her qualifications, she realized that she was way below what she should be charging. And so she um, raised it up to what she could say she should be getting. And she actually then ended up picking up more clients once she raised what she was charging. The next thing was that they started to the believe for a house. I won't go into the whole story, but the house that they finally found and were believing for, and they put an offer in, and this goes over a one- to two-year period, and the the offer that goes in, and the realtor says, well, you're not going to get it for that. And within that year to two years, the housing market went down. So... Then this house then became available again, and he was going to put the same, what they had sold for, and put that amount in. And the realtor said, well, you're not putting it in for that. You can get it for less than that. (laughs) And they did. But I guess what I would say is, don't be in a hurry. God's taking care of it. I gave you that story last week with Jeannie with the goals that, it's taken 20, 30 years, but it's right where God wants us. If what you have is not enough, then stole what you have left and trust God. Amen. That's all that I have for tonight. Uh, we will be up front if anyone wants prayer. If there's anyone here that uh, would like to see receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior... I was thinking about that studying there. I was in the Methodist Church, a freshman in high school. And I knew when it was time to go forward. There was was no question. I was going to go forward that day no matter what happened. Thank goodness we had a pastor at that point that asked you to come forward versus not talking about it at all.